0: Okay, think of something. The subject isn't really important, just think of whatever you want. Okay, got it? Now, how did that thought get assembled? I mean, if I asked two different people to think about the same thing, they'd each have at least slightly different pictures of it. What's the mechanism that differed? What's the unique process that went into making your particular thought? And also, who besides you was involved in that process? I know, it's a strange question, and based on Swedenborg's field notes, the answer is far stranger still. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life, but it's not just really another episode, it's a weird episode. As you can tell, I'm in a weird white space. I'm standing instead of sitting, hopefully you can tell, and that's fitting because we're gonna talk about weird stuff today. If this is your first episode, you might not want to start with this one, because it's it's very strange. You might want to check out Um, I guess all the episodes are pretty weird, but this one is extra weird. So proceed at your own risk. And we're gonna be looking today into the the building blocks of thought. Like, How does a thought get to be a fully formed concept in someone's head? Why do thoughts occur in certain ways to certain people? If you think about the nature of thought and how it changes the way the world is. The fact that when you mention a certain concept or topic, people get such different pictures of it in their head. These lead people to all kinds of actions. What goes into making up that thought initially? Well, Swedenborg wrote down a ton of information when he was having his spiritual experiences. And one of the things that he was shocked by was how much this spiritual world interacted with his mental world, way more than he ever anticipated. He said that was one of the hardest things to get used to, and he actually wrote some notes about it that indicated that the spiritual world was intimately um, intertwined with his thought generation process. We're going to look at the specifics of that, but first I want to say that we're not throwing the brain out the window, because if you ask people, uh, now, where do thoughts come from, they would say, we don't know exactly how, but it's a process in the brain. Somehow the way the neurons are structured and organized, something, something, we'll discover it in a few years, that's where thoughts come from. Swedenborg is not saying, the brain has nothing to do with it, it's all spirit. And you can see this by some quotes that he wrote in his books. We have a, our first one from Divine Providence, where he t- he's responding right now to people who think that the soul isn't um, interacting with the material body, so that's who he's going after. We're really interested in the second part of this. As for thought, they say that it is some change affected in the air, varied according to the objects we perceive and reinforced by habit. So he's going after these people. This means that the concepts of our thoughts are likenesses that we see in the air, like phenomena in the sky, and that our memory is the slate on which they are recorded. Here's what we're going to talk about. They do not realize that our thoughts take place in substances that are intricately organized, just as our sight and hearing take place in their organs. They should look at the brain and they would see a wealth of substances like this. Injure them and you go out of your mind, destroy them and you die. And Swedenborg, pre-theological or spiritual experience period, one of his fields that he was excelling in was anatomy. So he's making the claim that, no, the, the structure of the brain matters and this spiritual stuff matters. Because you'll often get people who are who are um, pushing against the idea of a spiritual influence on thought that will say, uh, we, we know that it's physical because if you mess with the physical side of things, you can affect how people think and feel. So he seems to be advocating for something that's a both-and here. He goes on in True Christianity, his book. Again, you can click these, download these books for free, and see the context of the conversation. He says, the point here can be more accurately illustrated by the mutual interaction between soul and body. The soul and the body are two distinct things, yet they are reciprocally united. The soul acts on and in the body, but not through it. Instead, the body acts on its own initiative on behalf of the soul. The soul does not act through the body, and that the soul and the body do not consult and engage in decision-making with each other. The soul does not command or request the body to do this or that, or say this or that with its mouth. The body does not call for or petition the soul to give it or supply it with something. Everything belonging to the soul belongs to the body, mutually and reciprocally." we could easily spend a show or two just on that, and what, what is he getting at there. We bring it up today to say, I don't feel like I know, and I don't think anybody working on the program would say that they know for sure how the spiritual and physical, in Swedenborg's worldview, interact to produce thought. But they do somehow. So we're not saying all the thoughts come from something spiritual, there's nothing physical attached to it, however, we are going to put a lot of importance on the spiritual side of thought creation. And to get to that, to get to his detailed notes on where his own thoughts were were coming from and what they were being affected by, you have to go deep into Swedenborg's writings. Even stuff that he didn't ever put out, uh, published, stuff you couldn't ever find on a bookshelf somewhere. Not that a lot of his books are on a lot of bookshelves. We have to go deep into Swedenborg's material. And luckily, there happens to be a place nearby that makes it very easy to do that. So for the first journey in this episode, we're going to take a little trip to the Swedenborg Library.
1: I'm Carol Travany. I'm the library director. We support the mission of Bryn College through our academic services and resources, but we also have the distinction of holding housing the largest repository of new church materials and Swedenborgiana in the world. The library is widely recognized as a center of Swedenborgian scholarship and research. We are committed here to making that available to people worldwide.
0: So I'm down there in the archives of the Swedenborg Library, and I've got my hands on... This is obviously not the original Journal of Spiritual Experiences, but it is a lithograph of that. I mean, this is the this is the picture of the text as it appeared, as he wrote it, complete with all of his markings and everything, the state he left that manuscript in. What is the Journal of Spiritual Experiences? How did we come to have it? What was its function in Swedenborg's world? We just happened to run into Dr. Jonathan Rose on site and he was gracious enough to tell us a little bit about what we were dealing with. What we're looking today at Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences. What is that uh, and where did it come from and and why was he keeping a journal of all this stuff in the first place? Tell me everything about the journal.
2: After his spiritual eyes were opened, he got very interested in this new sense that he was getting of an inner meaning in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So he started explaining. Uh, He started writing a draft work that's called The Word Explained, or has various different names in English. And he was going through Genesis and Exodus just exploring and seeing what was going on. that's not Secrets of Heaven? That is not Secrets of Heaven. That's a precursor to Secrets of Heaven. Right. And as he's going along explaining things, now and then I want you to see here how on the page All of a sudden it's indented like half paper was very expensive back then Mm. all of a sudden you have a passage this is the word explain here and all of a sudden you'll have a passage that's indented like half the page and he writes like that and then he goes back to a full margin oh and then he indents again and comes back well what's going on there well what's going on is that he started writing in the midst of this biblical exegesis he starts to realize how this is connecting with his own spiritual experiences and uh. he starts to write spiritual experiences in here and he wants to be able to find them later because he yeah. realized it's not the same material you know, right. I'm, I'm not explaining the bible it might be a connection with the bible but i'm talking now about i saw this or this happened to me
0: and right and it's all about a spiritual experience so flipping through you can just quickly oh there's my experiences experience. there it
2: is there's another one yeah mm-hmm. so he can spot them immediately on the page and he does that all the way through this long work that he never ended up publishing then he started to realize you know rather than sort of tucking them in another book i should really get out a manuscript and you know so he keeps writing and he doesn't know how long this thing's going to be yeah. but he's just writing it's sometimes, and that's the work that becomes what has sometimes been called The Spiritual Diary. More recently, it's been more accurately titled Spiritual Experiences, because yeah. there's some evidence that that's what he thought of it as. And yeah, that's what I think that's what we as, call it on the
0: show, Spiritual, spiritual
2: Experiences. experiences. That's right, right. It has a diary, you know, right there in front of you. There's the day of 26th of May in 1749. You yep. know, uh, it, yes, it has a diary feature to it. But what it is, is not just sort of like, I went to the store today, I bought some lingonberries. No, he's what he's talking about. Though he may well have been doing that. He may have been doing that. But what he's recording here are his spiritual experiences. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to make sense of this amazing, like, you know how it is. Like, I think it was more organized than dreams or something. But sort of this seemingly random thing happens and that seemingly random thing. So he wanted to try to organize it and get a handle on it. So he's studying these things and writing about them. So we wanna look
0: particularly right now at this entry, 2062, uh, because here he describes this very interesting interaction with spirits and the thoughts in his mind. And he talks a little bit about what actually goes into making a thought. What we wanna do is explore this Can we get, can we discern what he's writing about here, all this crossed out stuff? Do we understand the words, but then also, can we get from this scratch on this page to some truth, some enduring truth about the condition of everyone's mind, and get some insight into the building blocks of psychology? We'll take a look.
3: the least things are controlled by the Lord, and in every idea and feeling there are countless particulars." This morning I was shown plainly that there are countless particulars in every human idea and slightest feeling. In fact, if it is permitted to say something beyond human belief, the state of the whole world of spirits is similar. I was having a certain feeling and resulting mental image almost continuously over a period of time, and afterwards I was shown how many societies of spirits had contributed to the mental image resulting from that feeling, which some might regard as a simple, even most simple, idea. The societies of spirits nearest by, who were contributing to it, revealed themselves by actual conversation, claiming that they were the ones who wanted this thing, and were set on it, even explaining for what reason and for what purpose. They did so one after the other. And yet, out of so many thought images of these societies, arising from their desires, longings, and intentions, just one general thought or image came forth within me. How many there were in each society, I was unable to learn, but four or five societies, if not more, revealed themselves by open conversation, openly declaring that they had caused it, and even telling for what purpose.
0: So what was that? Hopefully we're all confused about it together. Was he talking about groups of people and societies? What is all that? Luckily I had a panel of Swedenborg enthusiasts on hand and we're going to now go through this bit by bit and hopefully pull out what did he mean by it all and what implications does it have for the way all of us think. we got Spiritual Experiences 2062. What's he talking about? What's happening here? What do you guys see in the text? Because it, it can be a little vague at points. So it, let's look at this first little section here. W- what's happening to Swedenborg? Jonathan, do you do you have any sense of that? I think in the heading you see the main idea, which is that in every idea and
2: feeling there are countless particulars, and not only particulars, but there's influences like right. from outside of himself.
0: So particulars being like
2: particular elements, right? Yeah, yeah, and influences Details and so on. Details, maybe. Okay. It, it, it's incredible to think about um, how he's getting a, a glimpse that no one's ever seen before, I think, of how a, for, a thought forms or how
0: yes. a feeling forms, where they come from and what that is. Yeah, like if you got your thought at Ikea, here's the little book, and here's how you put this part <laughs> with this part. And That's he was right. saying that the, those pieces were coming from all over the place. Right? All over
1: even, the place. even the simplest thought that you might have is actually this huge depth and and like threads reaching out in so many different directions in the spiritual world is what seems like you said saying. If
2: you had credits on your thought, they would roll for 20 <laughs> minutes, you know, <laughs> just
3: right. like yeah. all the people. A huge conglomeration of individual ideas.
0: And he makes that point uh, with a lot uh, that there's, there's greater within, that there's, a, uh, you know, millions of celestial things within one spiritual thing, millions of spiritual things. Mm. And he likens that to physical objects. This looks like one microphone, but if you zoomed into a molecular level, it's mm. tons and tons of stuff. So the same thing mm. with thoughts. Um, and But what's this, societies of spirits are contributing to a mental image. That's normal if you are used to reading, uh, you know, 18th century spiritism. But what's that? So so he's saying that there are cities in heaven that are manufacturing your your thoughts?
3: Our spirit is part of the spiritual world. I mean, our spirit, being our mind and our heart, Mm -hmm. is a citizen of the spiritual world already.
2: What I don't know is whether the, and I think the answer is no, do the societies of spirits, are they aware that you're having a thought and that they're contributing something to it? Mm. I think it's just the mechanism, just like you know, millions or billions of neurons fire to give us one thought in our brain. You know, this is sort of the spiritual version of that, whether they, I think it's known to God, but maybe not to those individual spirits that they're contributing to your idea.
0: So it's sort of a, the, the brain is a microcosm of, of the spiritual world. And the, like all these societies are, and it takes so many cells in any part of the body acting in concert to produce one action. He talks about muscles and how yeah. if that, the more cells fire, the, the greater the reaction is in my case, so many cells firing at once. Um, but so that it's like that. And let's, let's look at the second part of this where it seems, he seems to describe a little bit more how this contribution happens. Well, here, it seems like he's, he's addressing the society and saying, Hey, were you part of this thought? And a few of them are saying, Yeah, man, but it, that it pulls out of, um, out of what they're thinking or what they're feeling. How do you guys imagine this mechanism working?
2: It's so interesting that it's their desires and longings and intentions. You know, that this is so basic to the human spirit that there are things that you've longed sort of what I really want to see in the world mm. is this. And, you know, what what I really care about is this. And I'm terribly passionate about that. and And it's that sort of energy that seems to be coming out of these different societies. And so that each of these different communities are claiming that they were This is my idea. You know, I wanted this to Mm -hmm. happen. You know, that this, like I've been dreaming of this and this is the fulfillment of what I want.
0: Yeah. Lunch. (laughs) Lunch, right. In this case, we had to guess. We don't know exactly what he means by the simplest idea of thought, but it could well be that. It (laughs) does
1: seem to like go along with how Swedenborg is always, or this like understanding of the spiritual world is that, that an experience of identity is such a constant thing. You know, so even though we somehow have this huge shared feeling, shared thought, it always goes along with a sense of, oh, I, you know, I have this purpose for it, or this was how I caused it. So like that, it's never divided from that. There's always a sense of ownership Mm. of Mm -hmm. identity.
2: This is a dumb example, and please cut this. But yeah, we can do do that in post. At one point, when I got a an advanced degree. There was a party afterwards, and I was amazed that like 12 or 15 people got up and said, this was my idea. And then the next person said, no, this was my idea, you know.
0: And here I was thinking it was my idea, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. right. The influence credit. Four or five societies <clears throat> contributed to that. So how many, how many people is that?
3: It may be millions. I mean, he says how many there were in each society, I don't know. But um, I'm thinking that societies amassing people since eternity ago are big.
0: And and would be even bigger now. I mean, Swedenborg's time—you know—the world population was a lot smaller, so it continued to grow. And he he does say that moving from the physical world to the spiritual world is like going from a little village to a big city. So Mm -hmm. I just imagine the the amount of activity. And is that partially why? the you've seen the trajectory of the human race, our ideas get more complex, our understanding gets more complex. Mm. Is it because there's just more raw material to work with? Mm. More in input
3: from the other world. Mm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out soon, right? Mm. And and that what that that could be cool because the thoughts we're thinking now are gonna be nothing compared to the thoughts we'll think in mm-hmm. a thousand years, two thousand years, something like that. And that each one of us can be a contributor to the universal human mindset. So let's do it. Mm. So to recap Swedenborg was having a thought. Let me stand in for him for a second here. We don't know what he was thinking about, but probably this. He was having a thought, and because he had this hyper-awareness of the spiritual world and all the people that were in it, when he was having his thought, he was able to sense somehow or know that there was actually tons and tons of people in all different communities across the spiritual world who were contributing to that thought. That, that that was how he had a thought, was that there was material coming from, he said, out of their wants and their desires, and that some of the close ones were claiming, no, we, we, we thought of this, we thought of lunch, and he was actually able to pick apart the, the source of it. Even though it seemed like a really simple idea, he was shown that there's tons of spiritual material coming into that, and because of the nature of these different people in these communities, and what they wanted and what they were coming at it from, that changed his idea in the first place. So that his one little simple thought was this huge complex of spiritual material, much like something simple-looking, like a human hand, has so many systems in it, you could, you could, you couldn't learn about them in in a whole four-year degree program entirely, right? So there's a lot going on. He said this complexity extends to the spiritual world, and that thoughts are, have some kind of communal aspect to them, alright? So if you're, if you haven't buckled your seatbelt yet, hopefully you will now, because we're gonna go even deeper into it. With this next one, we're gonna look at the specific Motivations that these different communities can have when they're affecting a thought. So let's go back though, because we're pulling all this out of his journal of spiritual experiences. So let's go back to Dr. Jonathan Rose and I chatting a little more about what this journal of spiritual experiences really is. So that was
2: born out of here. It's it it it's a very interesting thing that it grew up in another book. It was yeah. it, it was like a
0: something you know it
2: was like a seedling growing right out of the yeah. of another tree or something he wasn't like planning
0: that. he didn't think all right oh, Well, i need to keep this journal it just i can't not keep this journal.
2: that's right it just was happening to him as he's working on the bible so what he does is then i think again in an effort to make sense of his spiritual experiences he writes an index which i have over here of his spiritual experiences okay and in order to indicate to future generations to himself perhaps, but also to future generations, that this stuff is actually part of that. It was Dr. Durbin Odner who made this amazing discovery that, oh, this is part of, he mm-hmm. considered this part of his spiritual experiences, even though it was in a separate book, because in his index, he'll say, he indexes this as part of that. Okay, that's how you can tell. Yep. You know, he indexes the whole thing together. Yep. I think what's going on in his index is that he's organizing, categorizing. He's had such an amazing mind. So he's having all these experiences. But okay, well, these are experiences of this type. Well, here's where I'm learning more about faith. Here is where I'm learning about the nature of
0: God. This is about the spiritual right. experience itself. But He went back afterwards and, and put them in an order like that.
2: Yes, and sometimes his index entries are very helpful to translators because they're clearer than what he's indexing
0: <laughs> this, this because he has more light on it you know? to go through. I just I can barely make out letters in here and right. it's not it's in a different language of I mean, that that's gonna be tough to go in there and figure out and as we'll right. see when we start to look into these numbers the subject matter is so obtuse you just right. you can barely tell what he's talking about even when you know the words. He's dashing
2: this off for himself and you can tell he's writing it some haste because sometimes like half a page will be one sentence and uh, the only thing that's missing are verbs and nouns. Right, Just that's you it, know. everything else but is there. But everything though. else is there that you need to He's understand. He me a book. So <laughs> you'll just have a comma, and then a comma, and then a comma, and a comma, and a comma. You know, that's the only punctuation. It's yeah. just commas, and yet they're really what we would think of as separate sentences. So it's a very challenging work to edit and translate.
0: And he never seems to have intended for this to, to see the light of day. This was supposed to be notes to himself, or do you?
2: It seems so. There are a few places where he'll say, see whether it include this when I publish this. Oh, really? You know, so you, you, there are occasionally things that people have found in here where he was debating about whether he would ever publish it. Okay. But no, I, I think mainly, it, I think pretty early on, he got rid of any yeah. idea that he was going to oh, publish that. What he does do, though, is he will copy these experiences? You can see in both of these volumes we have open in front of us that there are passages that are crossed out. This crossing out means that he copied it somewhere else. So he copied a lot of this into Secret Yes, of heaven, exactly, or Arcana Celestia, and and so he would note it. No, I already got that one. You know, I yeah. copied this one over,
0: kind of. So from this collection of Swedenborg's notes, his field notes, or notes to himself, let's look at another entry having to do with thought creation and the society. Of the spiritual world For these next numbers we actually got to move into the second volume of the spiritual diary i know that's two because one and three are here even if you can't tell from the spine so in here he goes in depth in detail about how each society affects him what they each want and you get this really interesting picture of the, cont- the contributing factors to individual thoughts
3: societies in the other life of all qualities whatsoever that could ever come into mankind's thought or desires. Into the thoughts, for example, when I was thinking about some matter that was not being uncovered, but hidden in the word concerning the Ark of Noah. On this occasion, there were societies, one, who were pondering nothing else but whether it should be uncovered, two, whether it is the truth three, whether it can be divulged. Most of them were conjecturing whether it is, and whether it is so. Very many societies especially wondering whether it is so, then wandering off into countless details, or wandering only into irrelevancies, not entering into of what quality it is. There were very many societies of them that were dispersed, for they hindered the seeing of what it is, getting stuck fast at every turn in this, whether it is, and whenever they were in this, whether so, they were still in whether it is and whether it is so. Therefore, they were wandering about like furies on the outermost skin. There were many, many societies that conjecture egotistically One thus, another thus, in long series. There are societies that do not want the truth to be disclosed. Some from indignation that they cannot be the highest. Some from unmercifulness. Some from apathy. Some from the desire that others should investigate the matter from their own effort, as they are doing from theirs. Again, others say that one should persevere in the attempt with no other purpose than that of trying, so that the person or spirit will lose hope, be displeased, become angry, and cast himself headlong into every error and insanity. I spoke with them, saying that such a purpose is diabolical, since nothing is guiding the attempts toward some use Besides many other comments about purpose, still others having different views. But the good want to know the truth. They want to teach, want it to be opened up to all. They desire nothing more than to share whatever they know and to free others from temptation and the resulting evil. Thus, there are innumerable societies.
0: Let's dive right into this one. Um, In this scenario, Swedenborg seems to be describing the specifics of what, how these societies interacted with a particular thought. So what, what's he thinking about here? Mm,
2: what I like about this one is that he's pondering the ark and that story in Scripture. Yep. And I think he's wondering what it means. Like, what does this detail mean? Why are some of the... Birds and animals in twos, and others are in sevens. Or yeah. why, you know, why is it mentioned this order? Why does it sometimes say the sons and then their wives, and then it, or it's you know um, all the different order of things? And it's fascinating to me that into his confusion uh, pour all these other spiritual confusion, you know, from the other world. Some people who don't want him thinking about it. Some people who are sharing their own confusion. Some are sort of saying, well, I think that's a nice idea and tossing yeah. in something good.
1: And I like the thought that there is no thought that happens that is isolated. Like we can't have an isolated thought. Mm-hmm. Somebody else <laughs> has thought it or is thinking, or in this case, is thinking it simultaneously. That's what Swedenborg is saying. And so, you know, just the other day I was playing a certain song on the piano, and then I just happened to hear later that somebody else that I knew had been practicing that same song Mm. that day. And I just thought, how many people in the world are playing the same song? You know? And in this case, (laughs) we have, um, you know, if you're having a thought and you think you're the only one who's ever thought this, you're wrong. Like he's saying, there are just countless people who are actually experiencing that same thought. And in that way, I feel like you get, I feel like this passage in particular, feeds itself well into sort of spiritual practice in terms of how you can navigate your own thoughts is first of all not to think that you're unique for having that thought so then if you're not unique then do you really want it you know or do you want to pass on that one you know mm. or something so right
0: right and each of these societies seems to have an agenda
1: mm-hmm. it's, they're, they're
0: thinking about it there's they want it the first one wants to just think about should it be uncovered we got other ones is it true or not the third one can it be divulged Uh, there's all these people that are more concentrating on the thought itself rather than what what conclusion you need to reach from it the thinking process itself rather than yeah Um, and maybe that's they're just more into that that's just particular societies that are around them for that so let's hear about the uh the other societies so there seems to be a lot of this going back and forth about can, can it be can it not be and Swedenborg kind of is against that sort of thinking in a way, right? That
2: tramping in one place memorable occurrence that he mm. relates is like that where they want to debate for a hundred years Whether this or that mm-hmm. is the case, you know, is this a question? Is there such a thing before you even go on to you know, it's kind of a stuckness and so what's amazing to me is that very many of these societies get dispersed like I don't think I'm so lucky most of the time, like they don't get dispersed, <laughs> they just hang around in there and raise questions and make me agonize about things and, and, and never move forward.
0: That is he's describing what underlies our mindsets. You know, why do you get in this space where you just are so indecisive? You know, there's There are conditions where people are absolutely crippled by the inability to make decisions. Paralypse. And, and mm-hmm. then this may be that these societies get loud and out of balance
3: and actually it gives me a little compassion for myself and for the human race that no wonder we're stuck on things if we have this much input wandering into countless details and irrelevancies i mean i mean i I, i'm a proofreader and i get stuck on but that period there's two periods at the end of that sentence you know which does not affect the content of the sentence at all but i get like so I, I have sympathy for these spirits who yep. are messing us up yes. with too many irrelevancies.
0: <laughs> Proofreader spirits.
3: Yeah. That
2: <laughs> phrase is amazing at the end about wandering about like furies, who are these oh, yeah. ancient sort of angry, kind of demigods or something, who on the outermost skin, you know, they're just ah, they're just raging on the outside of the issue and never getting into. Well, but what does the arc mean, and how does that help us to know it? You know, it just stops on the outermost threshold.
1: I feel like that's kind of reflected in just the internet. You know, <laughs> the countless just extra, just irrelevancies, and just you know the. It's Opinions. amazing. The, <laughs> it's yeah, something amazing to It's hard her. to get work done. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, so then
0: he he goes on to describe more societies. Um, these ones more seemingly more negative they can he says conjecture conjecture egotistically one thus another thus in a long series uh and then societies who do not want the truth to be disclosed so they're actually trying to keep the truth from getting out so we have sort of these uh these directly um almost sabotaging the thought process for Swedenborg
1: yeah I feel like whenever we think about what Swedenborg says about sort of where our thoughts come from I feel like it just to me is one of the most useful ideas that I think he brings to the table of spirituality, like that conversation and just that, you know, because how often we can find ourselves falling into a feeling of just, you know, what he says of uh, thinking that they should persevere in the attempt with no other purpose than that of trying, you know, we can just find ourselves in this spiral of, oh, I'm not getting anything done, but I'm just still just trying here. And to know that to have a moment of witnessing, of like, oh, maybe that's not even me. Maybe there's another option here if I can, you know, get these dispersed and look for it over here. Like, look for something better over here, or who knows. But it just yeah seems to have a, a way out of our own isolated, you know, sense of ourselves.
0: This but- is tangential. Sorry to cut you off for this. Is there's no reason for me to make this comment. Once I was having this experience, I was feeling very beset by negative and not negative thoughts and feelings. It, it was just a rough period. And but I, do, I remember like feeling like, OK, I just don't want to do anything. And I was playing a video game, but I was losing at it. So like not only was I not doing something in the <laughs> real world, I was not even accomplishing anything within that false world. And I remember just thinking, this is funny, like I'm getting absolutely nothing <laughs> done right now. so Sorry, Jonathan, you were going to say something.
2: Well, I like the uh, these people who don't want to share what they have found. They want you to look into it for yourself because, like, hey, yeah. I did the work. I mean, you can do the work yourself, right? You know, so they're not going to yeah. share
0: what if we got done. the patent. We're not going to share the medicine. Mm. All right. Let's contrast that here to end with the with the good, the ones, the ones who want to know the truth. So what are they, what's their, their purpose is very different from all these other societies, right?
1: Yeah. I love the idea of them just, there was a different translation of just feeling almost burdened by knowing so much. They just really wanted to share it with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so in contrast to that of wanting to teach, wanting just knowledge to be opened up for everybody, I feel like I know people in my own life who are just so eager about like, oh, I just need to share this thing with you. And it's great. Yes. Yeah. And And wanting to
2: free others from temptation and the resulting Mm -hmm. evil. You know, they don't just want to share a good thing, but they want to block the... Bad thing, you know. They can see that you're stuck or you're obsessed or whatever it is, and they want to get you free. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: the truth just set you free. Mm-hmm.
0: Doesn't it, Swedenborg says that it, in the heavenly mindset, anything you have, you feel like there's n- no use in it unless it can be someone else's. Sure. That's, that's right. right. That yeah. heaven is the sharing of joy and of knowledge. And that's a pretty radical thought to think. I I have this mental or emotional possession, and I'm not. It seems like life is about accumulating those and having those and having better ones than everyone else. But the the heavenly mindset is, I I don't even care that I have this unless I can pass it on to someone. Actually, describes
2: it as spiritual avarice. Okay. To know things and not not share.
0: Yes. Mm. And I wonder what it is when you share things but you don't really know them. (laughs) I think what we're doing here, right? All right. (laughs) So Swedenborg is meditating on the internal sense. Of Noah's Ark. And you can, if you've read his first published theological works, it's all about the internal sense of these biblical stories. So here he is trying to, fi- trying to get insight into what does this mean? What, what are all the characters? What, are the, what does the plot tell us about human development? And as he's doing that, all these spiritual societies are weighing in. On the process. But there are differences in the way they approach it. Some of them are really negative, self-focused, and they're trying to sabotage the whole thing. Some are just in the way, they're just gumming up the work. Some are trying to get, help him do it, and spread information. And is this why our minds are like they are? You can be trying, if you're trying to think of something creative, it can take forever. You're not getting what you want. Why can't I just write this? story or this song. When is it gonna come? Is it because there's this kind of gridlock and that these, these guys have to be dispersed somehow by forces before that works? I also think this shows an interesting contrast with these, these negative societies and the positive ones. These want to keep you just, can the process happen? No, I'm gonna stop it. But these, let's get the information out. Let's do what's, let's, who cares about who owns the information? Who cares about how it gets there? What we want to do is let this come out and have it help people. So that's a little microcosm of what is good and what is evil, or what is self negative self-focused and what is this heavenly mindset that these, that these spirits were in that comprised Society 6. So we're going to take a look at one more number, but before we do that, let's go back to Jonathan Rose and I and just get our one final bit of insight into the, the whole spiritual diary phenomenon and see see how it shows you a little bit of Swedenborg's process in this whole thing. I love the the spiritual experiences journal because it's such raw data. And yeah, it's a lot of it seems to be the, the basis for things you find in the published works. But here, it's not something you could jump into if this is your first Swedenborg, but once you start to know your way around his world, I find that. He, the level of detail he goes into about mm. the spiritual world, how it operates, the kind of things he mentions in there. You can't find anywhere else in his works, and, and sometimes they're the most useful ideas in there. So that's why I yeah. wanted, in this show today, to look specifically at a couple of numbers here.
2: Yes, he, um, it's an amazing work because um, uh, partly just its survival is surprising, because he was not sentimental about his manuscripts, as soon as a book was published, he burn it or do whatever—you know—recycle the paper. He, yeah. like, there are no manuscripts to his published works except for a few volumes of Secrets of Heaven, where they were published abroad. When he was in Sweden, they were published in England. So he would keep a copy just in case the boat went down and yeah. the manuscript was wow. on. But otherwise, he was not sentimental about his manuscripts. He wouldn't keep stuff. But this seemed to have ongoing value to him, so he he kept this, and he kept working on it. He actually wrote the spiritual experiences over a 20-year period, 1745 to 1765. And that's just
0: about every day. There's entries, or or at least a few per week. It goes up into, there's like 5,000, 6,000 entries or something.
2: 6,110, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a massive, uh, fascinating piece of work, and I'm glad that it got rescued and saved because uh, it shows you, to me, the most valuable thing. Uh, some people have looked in it for sort of um, like doctrinal information or stuff like that. Sometimes his opinion is changing over time. Mm. Uh, or he's working out what, what, you know, so he'll contradict himself sometimes in here because he's... It's he, like
0: early entries versus later entries. Yeah,
2: yeah. That he's sort of working out What what is going on, you know. he's trying to figure it out. Uh, You see his progression in here as well. That's right. And to me, that's one of the most valuable things is you see his process. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there have been people over time who've said he didn't have those experiences. He made this up to deceive the public. Yep. Well, to sit down and write thousands of pages like that's a pretty, you know, that you don't publish. That's like a sustained, yeah. you know, fakery.
0: You like yeah. if you were lying,
2: you <laughs> you really put your heart into it,
0: you know? So he's like just in case after I die, some people come and look through my possessions, I better have covered I my tracks by fake writing a thing with yeah.
2: different handwritings over time. And, yeah. yeah, and make it look like right, it right, happened right. over a 20 year span. No, he was having these experiences. He was having more than
0: he writes about in the published theological yeah. works. The last one 4287, where he talks about how, and I can kind of see a little bit of innumerable, uh, kind of see a little bit here, innumerable. He's talking about how different societies go together, centered around a particular concept that we have in mind. In this case, the false concept. So let's see how does what we believe and hold on to affect the kind of spiritual company that we keep.
3: Clearly, having spoken with spirits about the matter, and it was acknowledged that a single mental image of falsity engages innumerable societies conspiring together, but all in diverse ways some directly, some obliquely, some with an evil motive, some with a good motive, some out of malice, some from a good intention, some from ignorance so that there are innumerable societies that compose a single mental image of falsity, such as those who make faith the essential above charity, or those who place merit in their piety, or in some other way, some in simplicity of heart, some with evil at heart. A person's opinion or assumed principle is like a nucleus. As long as one is captivated by it, All other things are like rays of various colors that complete the mental picture. This was vividly shown to me, and I spoke with those who had been engrossed in this, with others in that mental image, some in front a little toward the right, some above at the back, all having different motives, but still conspiring together. This shows how harmful it is when man or spirit is immersed in falsity.
0: So now that Jonathan's not here, let's let's say what we really think <laughs> about this stuff. Um, here we dive into the same kind of composite thought creation, but he's focusing specifically on a false idea and the contribution of society. He says some interesting things about the different elements that go in and to make that up. What struck you about uh, this particular passage?
3: For me, the first thing that strikes me is that there are good there's good coming into it too. some right. some are some of these spirits or societies are throwing in things from a good motive, a desire to be helpful or s- uh, some kind of good intention. Right. So that in my Swedenborgian mindset of, you know, the black and the white, the good and the true, they're always on the opposite sides yeah. of the wall. Yeah. That is like, oh, there's it's, good stuff coming in even to the falsities.
0: Yeah, doesn't he talk yeah. about fa- falsities of evil versus falsities from ignorance? Uh-huh. Uh that, right, that good point. You can love something untrue because you have a negative motive or it's just, you just don't know. And they're sort of both, uh, working, you know, to, to put that thought together.
1: Yeah. And I love, that's one of those things that I love about what Swedenborg says. And I feel like it creates such a merciful concept to just not be too, you know, attached to our ideas because, you know, just that for one angels are just always forgiving us for our misconceptions. You know, like they really are just interested in our, in our hearts and how things are going that way. And, um, like if it's all just a misconception like a falsity then it's like all right we can work with that you know like that can get kicked up that can get broken down and rearranged
0: on the on the reverse of that he says some are coming in with an evil motive Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it seems like they either they are intentionally trying to sabotage that particular thought or they think that same false thing for an evil reason Mm -hmm. The, the example he gives is his favorite false example, which is faith separate from charity. Like, okay, what, what else do you got? But he's saying that, that you can have that just because you were kind of taught that and you believe that, or you can have it because you want the dominion of other human beings and right. you know that, that religious stuff is the tool to get that. You know, So there there's both.
3: Right, mm-hmm. right. So I can see a good intention coming toward that thought. Like, well, faith is good. I mean, it's nice. Let's, let's develop your faith, but let's put it in the right... Priority or and, something like
0: that. Yeah, and it reminds me of the sort of the, the um, uh, cohorts of spirits that Swedenborg describes, where there are some in our show that the three kinds of evil spirits we talk about sirens and that they were like using other spirits who were educated but sort of self absorbed and sort of grooming them to say no, no no you help us and they were deceiving simple upright spirits which again is this like good and evil tangled up together mm. in the sort of middle of the spiritual world so there is a lot of complexity to the whole thing but the end result is this this false idea this one i i find particularly mm-hmm. fascinating uh did you mm-hmm. have you guys have what was your initial reaction to this
1: oh it's just interesting that it's focused on it's talking about opinion or an assumed principle like some layer that's somewhat deeper than just an individual thought, Mm. but sort of a whole approach to the way that you think and how that can be, you know, particularly harmful if we don't reflect on it and Mm. wonder where is, you know, what, where is this coming from? Is this the way... Is this the way I want all of my thoughts colored or not? Yeah, Mm. and
0: it as a nucleus, uh, This is as long as we're holding on to that, that puts us in a particular spiritual neighborhood Mm. and keeps us Mm. there. Um, That phrase, as long as one is captivated by it. So you can't be freed from the resulting negative impact of these societies in the spiritual world as long as you got that thought because it just puts you right at the center of where they all converge, which I find just potent. Imagery, Mm. and you can definitely, Mm. you know, it's hard to see it in yourself. It's easy to see in other people when you think this particular aspect of your mindset has got you stuck in in some kind of misery. If you could just get rid of that, things would be better, but not so easy sometimes.
3: It's not so easy, yeah.
1: Right. And it seems in contrast a little bit with, you know, we know the importance of people's intentions and motives, but then this is saying how, like, getting immersed in some particular way of thinking can really cause some harm i don't want to say dangerous thing but it can be where it's just like it's worth it to be trying to you know change the way we think i guess or you know just to think about that
0: um yeah well he does say this shows how harmful it is mm -hmm. at the end so he he is warning and i think it's a warning against rigidity because he's talking Mm. about the more we're captivated by it it's going to be hard to know are my assumptions about life true or false. But there is a blanket philosophy you can apply, which is don't be too sure about anything. It seems like, because he uses this language, captivated by it, whatever the original wording is, but it makes me seem like you're just enthralled or you idolize this particular principle. It's unassailable, but it seems like the more loose we are about our beliefs, the less chance we have of getting caught in this web that Mm -hmm. then you can't sort of see out of. So, you know, chill.
3: Chill. Yep. Very challenging. Yeah, right, right. I'm, I'm,
0: I can imagine it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not the same as doing it.
1: No. I'm so intrigued by the section title, the, how innumerable societies conspire toward a single principle of falsity, thus how much there is in a single mental image. Thought is the image of the person. I feel like he doesn't come back to that. He throws Ooh. that in there. Thought is the image of the person. So I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Um, it may
0: be that... If you know, he talks about societies looking like a person, mm-hmm. right? So it's got to be collective If, if the, the the human form can kind of show up on all levels, it's got to be that collections of societies can also look like a person. And this particular collection of societies is held together by this one principle in the middle. So maybe the that that creates the image of, of this person centered around that, which is you, because this is your. We are all our individual crossroads in the spiritual world, so something like that. But who knows? uh, Who knows what's really
1: going on? And that can feed into, you know, the the idea of substance and form. You know that thought is the form of feeling, Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. our unique, you know, the unique way that we as individuals can think is is really what creates the person that we look like in the spiritual world.
0: In that one, you see the power of a thought, in this case a negative thought, and how having that, and we grab onto it, and don't let go, that changes who we're interacting with spiritually. That thought for, for, that Swedenborg is describing was acting as this nexus uh, that everything else revolves around and interacts with, and that you can't be freed from it as long as you're holding on to it. And that, that it attracts these things, it gets all wrapped up. To me, it's a powerful image of the 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 power concept can have over you in the way that it can just get you stuck it's it's just a little bit of data that we've been looking at here but is is this useful psychological information if he's describing what the subconscious actually is which is the whole spiritual world. is. Can that create a better model for why human thought processes are like they are? Who knows? We're not going that far tonight. We just wanted to show you some of it. If you want to scan his spiritual diary or journal of spiritual experiences, there's plenty more in there that, that you can find. It's a fascinating read, the whole thing, but you've got to get a little bit used to what Swedenborg is talking about before it's going to make much sense. Hope you've enjoyed that journey here with us. Great having you. Uh, like and subscribe, if you want to um, make this something as weird as this shoot out across the internet and hopefully it comes to the right person and, and uh, it was just what they're looking for. So we appreciate it. And also, if you want to make weird programming like this possible, we're a nonprofit, we run off donations. Here's a little bit about who we are and why we do what we do.
1: We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving, to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins.
0: That's our show for this week. Really appreciate you making it this far. And next week, we're going to be doing an all question and answer show. So if this... Content has spurred any questions and you get ready next Monday. We're going to answer or if you have questions about anything else. We'll spend the whole hour just doing that back and forth feedback thing. Hope to see you there. Uh, Thanks for, for taking this weird journey here tonight.